Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. You have enslaved him. You have placed Vester under some strange sexual spell. I respect that. But please, may we see him? Don't even think about it. You have gone too far. You have married Vester. You have destroyed his spirit. You have taken him from us. All that I could forgive. But Debbie... What? Pastels? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the everyone, I'm Emma. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 176, Adam's Family Values. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, hi, hello, welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you're a brand new listener, welcome back. If you are a regular returning listener or an irregular returning listener, or you've just literally listened to the Adam's Family episode that I did last year, and you've realised, well, there's another Adam's Family episode, so I better listen to that too. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. There's a lot of movie podcasts out there. And so I'm always really slattered and grateful and slightly awed, actually, that people choose to listen to Verbal Diorama. So thank you for being here. I'm really happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Adam's Family Values. This is the final episode that I'm doing this September, aka sequel Temba. A month of looking at sequels to previous episodes of the podcast. So a huge thank you to everyone who listened to the previous episodes that have happened during this month. Spider-Man 2, obviously also did an episode on Spider-Man. Blade 2, I also did an episode of Blade back in the day. Division, which was a last minute entry to this month due to sickness and terminated to Judgment Day, which... It's the biggest solo episode that I've ever done on this podcast. I don't count episodes with guests or episodes with interviews as a solo episode. Uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day was a huge episode to put together. I'm so very proud of that episode. I'm so very proud of every single episode that I do, to be fair. But that one especially was incredibly huge. I wish I could have done more on that episode, actually. But we're finishing this month with Adam's Family Values. 
And the reason why is because I did an episode on the Adams Family. And that was back episode 119. So that was October 2021. And since then, that particular episode has genuinely become one of the biggest episodes of this podcast. Full stop. People can't get enough of the Adamses. And it's for good reason. So many good reasons. Because these movies, they're perfectly cast, they're well written, and the effects, they still hold up today. But mostly, though, in my opinion, for the positive depictions of love and family. The Adams family may be different, but different is good. Different is great. And as Adams family values shows us, we should all strive to be that little bit more different. Here's the trailer for Adam's Family Values. Gomez. Caramia. Marvelous news. I'm going to have a baby. Right now. Are you in unbearable pain? My darling, is it torture? We. Oui. It's a boy. It's a girl. Gomez! What news? Father, what is it? It's an Adam's. Do you think we love the baby more than we love you? Yes. Children, what are you doing in there? Play. These Adams men, where do you find them? It has to be damp. We're not shy. We're contagious. I think their whole family's like some weird medical experiment. Are we late? One house, three children. So many windows. You still desire me after all these years? Forever. Our whole family, together at last. Wednesday Adams aren't happy with the new addition to their family, their new baby brother, Pubert. Morticia is restless and Gomez only wants her to be happy. So he tries to fix everyone's problems by hiring a nanny and finally finds the perfect one in Debbie Jelinski, a beautiful, voluptuous blonde with an impeccable wardrobe and a way with her hands. She charms the family, especially Uncle Fester, who falls head over heels. But Wednesday and Pugsley see through her facade. She's only after Fester's money. Before they can rat on her, she ships them off to summer camp, then marries Fester. While she tries, and tries and tries, to kill Fester and make it look accidental, Pugsley and Wednesday must battle ever-cheery cab directors and spoiled rich kids to get back to their family and warn them about Debbie. I mentioned this movie is perfectly cast, and it genuinely is one of the most perfect casts that I think has ever been put to screen. No hyperbole, because... Returning for this movie, we have Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams, Raw Julia as Gomez Adams, Christopher Lloyd as Fester Adams, Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams, Joan Cusack as Debbie Jelinski, Christopher Hart as Thing, Carol Stoyken as Lurch, Jimmy Workman as Pugsley Adams, Carol Kane as Grandmama Adams. She replaces Judith Molina from the first movie, John Franklin as Cousin It. Dana Ivey as Margaret Alford Adams, David Krumholtz as Joel Glicker, Peter McNichol as Gary Granger, 
Christine Baranski as Becky Martin Granger, Mercedes McNabb as Amanda Buckman, and Mercedes McNabb technically reprises a role from the previous movie. She was the Girl Scout in the first Adams Family movie, and canonically, I think we can say that perhaps she is Amanda Buckman in both movies. This movie also features a host of cameos, cameos by Nathan Lane as the police desk sergeant, David Hyde Pierce as the delivery room doctor, Tony Shalhoub as Jorge, director Barry Sonnenfeld shows up as Joel Glicker's father, Julie Holston as Mrs Glicker, Peter Graves as well as the host of America's Most Disgusting Unsolved Crimes, Sam McMurray and Harriet Sansel Harris as Amanda Buckman's parents, and Cynthia Nixon shows up as well as an interviewee nanny. Adam's Family Values was written by Paul Rudnick and directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And the making of The Adams Family in 1991 was certainly not without issues. It was the very epitome of a troubled production. And I go into all of that in episode 119. But as you're here, and while I would obviously recommend listening to that episode, mostly because a lot of people clearly love it, I'm going to do a previously on verbal diorama, a summary of The Adams Family. But if you do have time, and obviously, if it's preferable, please go and listen to episode 119 for the full story on the incredibly troubled production of The Adams Family and how amazing it is that that movie turned out as brilliant as it did. But previously on Verbal Diorama, so Charles Adams, he was the creator of The Adams Family and he started the characters as one panel cartoon gags debuting in 1938 in The New Yorker. But it wasn't until production of the TV show that the characters were actually given names. And Charles Adams' cartoons, they ran regularly in the New Yorker magazine until his death in 1988. And in 1964, David Levy and Donald Saltzman created and developed a 30-minute black-and-white TV show based on his cartoons. And that became the TV show The Adams Family. So they were a close-knit, loving and wealthy family who just happened to appreciate the gothic and macabre. Enthusiastic patriarch Gomez would be madly in love with his statuesque loving wife Morticia. Daughter Wednesday and son Pugsley, along with Gomez's brother Fester and Gomez's mother Grandmama, reside at 0001 Cemetery Lane with their butler Lurch and disembodied Hang Thing. Two seasons of The Adams Family ran from 1964 to 1966. Also running from 1964 to 1966 was The Munsters, a similarly themed family show about benign monsters. While Charles Adams created his characters in 1938, The Munsters was based on the Universal Monsters of 1931 onwards. It was just a complete coincidence they debuted within a week of each other in 1964 and were completely independent ideas of their own creators, David Levy of The Adams Family and Universal of The Munsters. The Munsters would achieve higher Nielsen ratings than The Adams Family as well as being in syndication more, but it was the Adams family that enticed producer Scott Rudin to go ahead and look to make a movie of the family. Obviously, we do have a live-action Munsters movie coming by director Rob Zombie, and it's actually going to be out very soon. So Scott Rudin, he was the head of production at 20th Century Fox, and he pitched to that studio an adaptation of The Adams Family. And it was enthusiastically agreed that the cartoons would make a good film, and they set out to purchase the rights, which at the time were owned by Orion Pictures, who had acquired them through Filmway. Orion owned the rights to the TV show and held the option to make a movie version, with additional rights to the characters being left to Charles Adams' second wife, Barbara Barb. 
Barbara Barb would sell her remaining rights to Orion, and because Fox had been so keen to make a movie, Orion decided they would make it instead. And to add insult to injury, they also decided to poach Scott Rudin from Fox. Originally, Tim Burton was approached, but he declined to make the movie, and then Barry Sonnenfeld stepped up. And Barry Sonnenfeld, this was his directorial debut. He was previously a cinematographer. It was a very demanding shoot for his debut. He lost £30 in the first 10 weeks. He would continually vomit due to nerves. Three weeks into the shoot, due to working on 15 minutes sleep a night and using cappuccino as a food substitute, he passed out. They lost half a day's shoot for his recovery. The shoot would take 20 weeks. And with three months left, the director of photography, Owen Roisman, quit. A replacement, Gail Tattersall, came in but wound up in hospital. That left Sonnenfeld taking on director of photography duties as well as directing, which increased his stress levels. His wife then became ill. He had to fly from New York to Los Angeles to see her. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for the production crisis happening on the Adams family. Angelica Houston would go through literal hell to become Morticia. Her gothic ethereal look was achieved by strapping elastic bands around the back of her head, gluing fabric tabs to her temples to pull the corners of her eyes upwards. She would suffer severe headaches and rashes from their use. And each time they were removed for a comfort break, It would take hours to reapply the makeup and the wigs. She had to wear a constructed body corset with padded hips, cinched waist and pushed up bust, which meant that she struggled to walk. And after filming ended, Houston took all the fake nails, eyelashes and corsets, everything that made her uncomfortable and burned it all. And really the final nail in the coffin for the Adams Family movie in 1991 was that Orion Pictures was in financial trouble as well. They gambled on making expensive movies. They hadn't got enough profit. They were running out of money. And while the production of Adam's Family was still ongoing, Orion decided to cut their losses and sell the movie while it was still being filmed. And it wasn't if the Adam's Family was wildly expensive or over budget, but it was Orion's only hope of making money. No one knew while filming that Orion was planning to sell this movie. They found out through the press that Orion was selling the Adam's Family to Paramount for $22 million. And so... Coming to Adam's Family Values, I guess the question remains, if the Adam's Family was such a hellish production for most of those involved, especially Sonnenfeld and Houston, why did they make a second one and why did they both return? Well, in the case of Barry Sonnenfeld, the pain he experienced making the Adam's Family would turn into pleasure when it became a big hit in 1991 for Paramount. And unlike most studios, they didn't immediately announce plans for a sequel, despite the fact it was a big success. In the meantime, Barry Sonnenfeld had been contacted by producer Gary Lucchesi and sent a book called Forrest Gump. Sonnenfeld read the book by Winston Groom and Lucchesi told him he'd had eight scripts for a movie version of Forrest Gump, but they were all terrible. It was Sonnenfeld who helped shape the idea for Forrest Gump, as well as contacting his big star, and by that I mean the star of the movie Big, but also a big star, Sonnenfeld was cinematographer on the movie Big, by the way, and that was Tom Hanks. He told Tom Hanks that it was basically another man-child kind of movie, but eventually Tom Hanks signed on to star as Forrest Gump, and Sonnenfeld also, at the time, signed on to direct Forrest Gump. About a year passed and Sonnenfeld was then contacted by Paramount. They were planning to make another Adams Family movie, and would he be interested in returning to the director's chair? He would. But Forrest Gump was still in development at the time. And so Sonnenfeld said he would do Adam's Family Values after he completed Forrest Gump. But Paramount didn't want to wait. 
So Sonnenfeld basically had a bit of a Sophie's Choice situation. So Sonnenfeld had to choose. Would he choose to stick with Forrest Gump or would he go back to make the sequel to The Addams Family? And The Addams Family was his baby. And so he chose Adam's Family Values over Forrest Gump, but it was a decision that haunted him for years afterwards because Forrest Gump was obviously a huge success. And it's always that question of what if? What if Barry Sonnenfeld had directed Forrest Gump? What if Robert Zemeckis hadn't done it? What if? What if? What if? He struggled with the fact that he turned down Forrest Gump. It was a chance meeting at Danny DeVito's Christmas party that gave him a chance to quash his demons as fellow director Marty Brest, who'd had his fair share of misses of huge blockbusters, he'd missed out on Rain Man or War Games. He basically said to Sonnenfeld, look, watch Forrest Gump, it'll help you heal. And so Barry Sonnenfeld finally watched Forrest Gump and he was over it. He was completely happy with his decision to not direct Forrest Gump and instead to direct Adam's Family Values because who could not be proud of making a movie like Adam's Family Values? Moving on to the writer Paul Rudnick. So he'd done uncredited rewrites for The Addams Family. I mentioned that in that episode 119. And the reason the second movie is funnier is purely down to his level of irreverent, campy humour. And this is a guy who manages to get jokes about incest, sadomasochism and masturbation through the rating system. Honestly, the way he does that is quite frankly a miracle. With the first movie often accused of being low on plot, Rudnick would go on to say, quote, we did decide that the first one had a certain plot-free quality that we could improve on. We decided to boldly head for plot, a Hollywood first. And this is basically the level of humour that Paul Rudnick just has in spades. As an openly gay novelist and playwright, he'd always teetered on the line of acceptability in an industry that often wasn't welcoming to it unless it was totally family-friendly. His powerful off-Broadway comedy Jeffrey is about a gay Manhattanite who vows to abstain from sex out of fear of contracting AIDS, but in a sad turn of events meets Mr. Wright, who happens to be HIV positive. Jeffrey, which no theatre would initially produce because it was about AIDS, ended up playing from December 1992 to January 1994. Rudnick would win an Obie Award, an Outer Critics Circle Award, and the John Gassner Playwriting Award for his work on Jeffrey. But the story of how Paul Rudnick got involved with Adam's Family Values actually starts with a movie that is on my list to cover on this podcast, Sister Act. He wrote the original screenplay for Sister Act and what was meant to be a campy, knowingly show-busy vehicle for Bette Midler was extensively rewritten for Whoopi Goldberg by Disney's script doctors. And you might be asking, well, why has Paul Rudnick got credited for Sister Act? Well, he was somewhat irked by this meddling of Disney script doctors and he ultimately insisted on a pseudonym, Joseph Howard, for the movie Sister Act. With his uncredited contributions on The Addams Family also receiving no credit, Addams Family Values gave him his first proper chance to shine as a screenwriter. And shine, he does. And the reason why the focus this time around is more on Wednesday and Pugsley is pretty simple. Not only for the powerhouse that is Christina Ricci as Wednesday, but also that Rudnick identifies with Wednesday. She's his little on-screen avatar. He would say, quote, she's a very powerful child and she doesn't take anything and she doesn't want to fit in. I do think of her as completely autobiographical, especially the little flowered dress and the pigtails. I watched her and I thought, why couldn't I have carried myself like that at that age? You know, instead of crying. 
But Paul Rudnick isn't just a man known for his wicked sense of humour. As a gay man and a member of the LGBTQ community, there was obviously a lot of pushback in America. And sadly, there still is today. People that won't accept gay marriage or gay children. People with Republican values who didn't just dislike gay people, but also people of colour, even single mothers. These sorts of people definitely won't like a family like the Adams family, with their quote-unquote backwards morals, macabre ways, teaching children to kill a pain, promoting sexual pleasure, relishing in pain and torture. It goes against good Christian American values. And values is the key word here. Why is Adams Family Values called Adams Family Values? Well, it stems from US politician Dan Quayle, the vice president when the first George Bush was in the Oval Office, and in a speech that Quayle made when he was vice president to the Republican National Convention in 1992. In it, he suggested that TV was encouraging viewers to embrace alternatives to traditional two-parent families, including single parenthood. He focused on the TV show Murphy Brown, despite him never seeing the show, that the character choosing to have a child out of traditional wedlock set a poor example for American families, and then it mocked the importance of fathers in children's lives. This was often referred to as the family values speech, and it caused a huge stir in 1992. Rudnick would write a piece for the Los Angeles Times detailing exactly how that speech inspired Adam's family values twice over for the name of the movie and additionally the concept that there's no such thing as traditional American families because traditional American families or substitute American families for British families, French families, Brazilian families, whatever. There is no such thing as a traditional family because traditional families, they are all races, all nationalities, all sexualities, all genders. And that in many ways, the Adams family are a true ideal family unit. Loving parents who adore each other and will do anything for their children. A supportive grandmother who lives with the family, a generous uncle. Children who play together and enjoy each other's company. Rudnick is placing Quayle's family values in that summer camp with the likes of Gary and Becky and Amanda and saying, this is the sort of family values that you really want, America? Kids with self-esteem issues, bullying, fake smiles and vapid expressions mixed with rampant racism and ableism, such as the fact that Becky can't even say the name Jamal. If given the choice between that vapid slice of Americana or the morbidly delicious and macabre Adams family, I know which one I'd choose to be. Adams Family Values was filmed between February and June of 1993 in locations like the Sequoia National Forest, the location of Camp Chippewa and various locations in California in order to make the freezing lake more comfortable for young Mercedes McNabb, who would have to jump in it and pretend to drown, the production team heated the water for her. The dance numbers at Camp Chippewa were choreographed by Adam Shankman. He was obviously a choreographer. He also worked on Catch Me If You Can, George of the Jungle and Boogie Nights. He would make his directorial debut with The Wedding Planner. He'd also direct A Walk to Remember, Cheaper by the Dozen Two, Bringing Down the House, The Pacifier, the award-winning Hairspray. He was also in line to direct Enchanted. As I mentioned in the episode that I did on Enchanted, he is going to be directing the sequel to that, Disenchanted, which is coming out later this year. And he's also executively producing Hocus Pocus 2, which I know everyone's really looking forward to as well. I mentioned in the Adams Family episode how much I love Gomez and Morticia Adams and how to me, that's couple goals right there. A passionate man, an elegant woman, still so sex positive and fully supportive of each other's needs. Discipline is never a punishment. 
And it's this wonderful juxtaposition between the Adams family's monstrous but in a good way to Debbie's monstrous but in America's most wanted way. And added to the mix, a new baby. Pubert is the name Charles Adams originally intended for Pugsley, but the New Yorker, when the cartoons first ran, objected to the name. They didn't feel like it fit. Surprise, surprise, family values. And everyone here is perfectly cast, as I said. Another flawless performance from Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, who were made to be Gomez and Morticia, through to Christina Ricci, and you have the always wonderful and ridiculously underrated Joan Cusack. Her knowing delivery of Malibu Barbie is perfection. I love Joan Cusack in this movie. I've got so much more to say about Joan Cusack in a little bit. Reportedly, even Marissa Tomei was considered for the role, but there is no one who could do that like Joan Cusack. This movie would also end up being one of the last screen credits for Raul Julia, who was diagnosed with stomach cancer in 1991 and continued to work until his death from a stroke in 1994. He was just 54 years of age when he died. It was increasingly clear to the cast, especially to Houston, that Julia's health was deteriorating during filming. He was losing weight. And yet you can't see that he's ill in this performance. Every line is as sharp as he looks as Gomez. He's always going to be the perfect Gomez Adams. And to answer the question that I asked at the start of this episode, why did Angelica Houston want to go through all of that pain and discomfort again? And it was simply because she loved the character and she loved working with Raul Julia. Her positioning and lighting was so important again, always having this beautiful lighting framing her face. Even the scenes where she's giving birth, Houston was filmed standing up rather than lying down to preserve that iconic look. When the movie was screened for test audiences, as Wednesday lights a match after Camp Chippewa burns around them and the Adams Family theme begins, with Amanda screaming her heart out being tied to a stake and an apple shipped in her mouth, this is where the scene cuts away from camp. And this ending left some test audiences worried that Wednesday had murdered Amanda. And how could a movie like this get away with murdering bratty children? Because let's be honest, Amanda is the biggest brat in the world. And so what they did was they retrospectively filmed a quick scene of Amanda and her parents on the plane ride home as Pubert flies past the plane window just to let the audience know that Amanda did survive and it was all in good fun. Although, I would love to see what happened after Wednesday lit that match. Maybe I'm just a morbid Adams Family wannabe after all. And to be honest, I think we all should be a bit more like the Adams Family. And I'm going to segue from someone who should be in the Adams Family, me, to someone who I think would fit right into the Adams family, and that is Keanu Reeves. And you might be asking, well, why am I segueing to Keanu Reeves? Well, this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. It's called the obligatory Keanu reference. It's just a thing that I like to do on this podcast. And the easiest way to link him to this movie is that Keanu starred with Morticia herself, Angelica Houston. They starred together in John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. The John Wick movies are literally one of the highlights of recent cinema for me. I absolutely adore them. They are fantastic action movies. Keanu is wonderful in them. And Angelica Houston only has a small role in Chapter 3 Parabellum, but it's a really important role. And obviously, it's Angelica Houston. She's going to be fantastic. And that's really the best way I can link him to Adam's family values. Other than to say, Keanu's family values, they're going to be stellar, aren't they? He's going to be the sort of guy who's passionate like Gomez and he's just going to adore his wife. Let's not go into the fantasy of Keanu as Gomez because that is like elevating this podcast, the sexual tension of this podcast a little bit too much. 
And this is, after all, a family show. But I want to move on to the music because there's a really interesting story behind the music of Adam's Family Values that I'm not sure many people actually know about. Because the original plan for Adam's Family Values was to have a famous musician write the theme song. Now, you'll remember in the Adams Family, that task fell to MC Hammer, who was obviously one of the biggest musical artists at the time in 1991. And when it came to Adams Family Values, they wanted Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson was supposed to record a horror-themed song for Adams Family Values and film a music video to promote it. But then, Dentist to the Stars Evan Chandler accused Jackson of molesting his son the summer before the film was set to be released. And so, plans changed somewhat. According to Paul Rudnick, Michael Jackson completed the video, which involved him living in the Adams Family Mansion and all of his neighbours storming the place with pitchforks and torches. And then, obviously, the accusations of him abusing Geordie Chandler came out. And so, the video, along with having him promoting the video and the song, it wasn't particularly appropriate to have that for promoting Adam's family values. There were also contractual disagreements with Paramount too, but whichever reason you think is the reason, that's probably the reason. Michael Jackson obviously never ended up singing the theme song. Uh, the song was called Is It Scary? That was actually included on his 1997 album Blood on the Dance Floor, History in the Mix. And the video project was finally finished independently and that became the short film Ghosts. The Adams Family Values music from the Motion Picture album features several hip-hop and R&B-based cover songs of 1970s folk and soul, songs by artists like Charles and Eddie. Remember Charles and Eddie? They covered Benny King's Supernatural Thing. H-Town covered the Eiley Brothers' It's Your Thing. Shabarank's Patra and Terry and Monica. They covered Sly and the Family Stone's Family Affair. R. Kelly, who I don't even really want to mention, but he did a cover of Isaac Hayes' Do Your Thing. And there was a remixed version of Tag Team's then current hit, Whoop, there it is, as Adam's Family Whoop, which was used as the lead single. So there were actually two soundtrack albums for Adam's Money Values. There was the music from the motion picture. There was also the original orchestral score. The score itself was produced by Oscar-nominated composer Mark Shaman, and the original orchestral soundtrack was led by Artie Kane. On its release on the 19th of November 1993, just in time for Thanksgiving, naturally, Adam's Family Values opened at number one at the US box office in its opening weekend. In its second week, the film dropped to number two because Mrs. Doubtfire was released. And we forget what a huge hit Mrs. Doubtfire actually was. On Adam's Family Values' $47 million budget, it would make a rather disappointing $48 million in the US under half of what the first movie achieved domestically and a further $62 million internationally for a worldwide total gross of $111 million, which was seen as a financial disappointment. Critically, slightly better received than the first movie with an aggregated Rotten Tomatoes score of 74% to the Adams Family's 66%, with the well-developed characters of the sequel adding to its charm, as well as being endlessly quotable and very funny. Many people, if asked, will tell you Adam's Family Values is the rare sequel that surpasses the original. And to be honest, in my opinion, all the sequels featured this month on Verbal Diorama do just that. But there is something special about Adam's Family Values. And the fact that Paul Rudnick was given free reign on his script 
and there was little studio interference. I think that plays a huge part in why this movie is so beloved. Adam's Family Values was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Art Direction, but lost to Schindler's List. Angelica Houston received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress, Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy for her performance as Morticia. And that was a reprise of her Golden Globe nominated performance in the 1991 original. And I suppose we have to talk about sequels. Uh, there was a made-for-TV movie called Adam's Family Reunion with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah, which I've not seen and I have no intention of seeing. Along with two animated movies, The Addams Family in 2019 and The Addams Family 2 in 2021, neither of which I've also not seen. And the only thing that I probably will see is the TV show Wednesday. That is coming to Netflix very soon, towards the end of this year, starring Jenna Ortega as the title character. Luis Guzman as Gomez and Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia. This one actually under the stewardship of Tim Burton, as I said originally considered to direct the first movie. Christina Ricci has also been cast in the TV show Wednesday in an undisclosed series regular role, which is very exciting because if you've not seen The Yellow Jackets, it's nothing like The Addams Family, but Christina Ricci is so good in Yellow Jackets. The whole cast of Yellow Jackets is amazing. That show is spectacular. Please go and see Yellow Jackets if you haven't. But the fact that Christina Ricci is coming back to the Adams Family fold as a new character in Wednesday. Yes, I'm very interested. I'm very interested to see the TV show Wednesday. I mean, clearly, my opinion on the Adams Family movies, I think, is quite clear. But we're going to move over to listener thoughts. And I like to find out what people think of the movies that I feature. So I ask on social media and I ask on Patreon. And we're going to start with the patrons of Verbal Diorama. And we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy, of course. And Andy says, What was it about the early 90s where sequels exceeded their predecessors? Following in the footsteps of T2 and Batman Returns, Adam's Family Values really pumps up the creepy, kooky and ooky to 11. It genuinely feels like a sequel made for the love of the material than beating the first movie's box office. Angelica Houston is absolutely dazzling in Adam's Family Values and her chemistry with Royal Julia should be duplicated in a lab and bottled up. I truly love the wonderbredness of Wednesday and Pugsley going to summer camp, and Joan Cusack is a national treasure that needs to be recognised yesterday. And yes, to all of what you just said, Andy, because everything in Adam's Family Values is perfect. There is so much love in this movie. The love in this movie definitely comes from Paul Rudnick's script. He loves this. Barry Sonnenfeld loves this. The cast loves this. There's so much love in this movie and I love it. And Joan Cusack, she definitely deserves retrospective recognition for every single role she's ever done. She is amazing. We have another patron comment from Zoe who says, Oh yes, while I've always liked the original TV version, I've always preferred the movie version more. I wonder why they didn't make a third sequel. I mean... It's probably because the second sequel was Adam's Family Reunion. But um, I digress. Just a quick note. So also has his own podcast. It's called Backlog Cinema. And he hosts that with his son, Zach. And it's basically him introducing his son, who is considerably younger than probably most of us, myself included, to the movies of his childhood, of yesteryear, and basically just introducing him to all the really cool movies that we grew up with. I'll put some information in the show notes. Please check out Backlog Cinema. We have another Patreon comment from Pete who says, 
as if the first Adams Family movie wasn't already fun. This sequel's got everything. Uncle Fester in an apron, genocide at a children's summer camp, and Joan Cusack. All of the ingredients for an excellent movie, I think you'll find. And Pete's podcast is Middle Class Film Class. It's hosted by him and Joseph and Tyler. And it's basically a weekly movie news and reviews podcast. And Pete is responsible for the very next episode of this podcast. More information towards the end of this episode. And you are not going to want to miss what Pete has chosen because it's phenomenal. Final Patreon comment comes from Nicholas who says, That rare thing. A sequel that is better than the original and pretty much stolen by Christina Ricci's Wednesday. Just the summer camp parts would have made a great movie, but add in the always excellent Joan Cusack story as well, and you have a comedy classic. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with at Mark Patterson, who says, This is Christina Ricci's film for sure. A great performance by her. Joan Cusack comes a close second. One of the best sequels going, improving on the original movie. At Harry Movies said, this is definitely a film that the more I think about, the more I think how it's definitely better than the original, which is rare. But then you have found quite a few of them this month. T2, Grease 2, Spider-Man 2, and even an argument for Blade 2. I mean, that is why sequel temper exists in the first place to highlight these fantastic sequels. At DW Lindbergh said, A joyous sequel, even funnier and more inventive than its clever original. If the actors were perfectly suited to their roles in the first one, here they positively own them. And I adore how Rudnick's script is basically set up punchline, set up punchline all the way through. At Nobody Else 4 Pod said, It's a brilliantly fun film, and for a good period of my youth, I didn't realise it was a sequel. It was the only Adams Family I knew. At Oral and Squire MC said, It's rare that a sequel introduces an original character so beloved and iconic as Debbie. She would have been such a great Adams if she weren't so greedy. And the summer camp subplot is fantastic. I only wish Carol Kane had been Granny in the original. At Diabolical Pod said, Harmony from Buffy, Mercedes McNabb is such a great foil for Wednesday, and Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski as the camp counsellors are the true monsters. David Crumpholtz is so perfect too. At Films underscore that said, I'll be the victim. And to that I say, all your life. At Dissect That Film said, both Adam Stablin movies are staples of my household during spooky season. Great performances, wacky plot that just shows Paul Fester can't catch a break, and Christina Ricci. That's it, Christina Ricci. At Kevin underscore the critic said, It's a good sequel that emphasises the best parts of its predecessor and sees another round of great performances from the cast. Wednesday's show at camp lives rent free in my head. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Dave underscore J underscore Banff, who says, My favourite quote from the wonderful Morticia, You have gone too far. You have married Fester. You have destroyed his spirit. You have taken him from us. All that I could forgive. But Debbie, pastels? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Not sure whether I prefer this to the first, but a good sequel nonetheless. And proof is any is necessary that I cannot do Morticia like Angelica Houston can do Morticia. At Friendly Sparpod said, I'm just really glad Raul Julia and Angelica Houston got a chance to step into these iconic roles again. Moving over to Facebook. We finally have comments on Facebook. Yay! And we have a few as well. So we're going to start with Catherine who said, One of my all-time favourite films. The love between Morticia and Gomez is electric. 
The characters are brilliant and I spent my teenage years wanting to be Wednesday. Andy says, Rare and fun example of a sequel being better than the original. Houston sizzles as Morticia and Raul is wonderful as well, as is the whole cast. Stands up to repeated viewings as well. A darn near perfect family film. And finally, we have a comment from Edward who says, I enjoy the story of Adam's family values just as much as I do the story of the Adam's family, as it shows a different side to the family and the struggles that they are going through. Living a not quite normal family life, but something that resembles the lives of the family's lead. Well told story, enjoy the dynamics of the characters, especially any all interactions between Thing and Gomez. As always, a huge thank you to everyone who's provided a comment for Adam's family values. This is a movie that I think everyone loves. I'm just going to go out there and say everyone loves this movie. There is no one who dislikes anything to do with Adam's family values. It is pretty much a perfect sequel. It's one of those sequels that is funnier than the original. And it's one of those sequels that has so many of these wonderful hidden meanings behind these perfectly cast characters with this wonderfully funny story. I can't tell you how much I love this movie and I'm so happy that you all love this movie too. I'm always just really grateful for your comments. So thank you to the patrons, to everyone on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for your comments for Adam's Family Values. What defines a loving family? I just want you to stew on that question for a little bit and have a think. What in your mind defines a loving family? As I mentioned, Writer Paul Rudnick confirmed that the title was meant to be a swipe at the Republican Party. Quote, I did also want the movie's name to be a response to the Republican Party's constant harping on family values, as if only conservatives could define a loving family. In Republican terms, family values is always code for censorship and exclusion, and Republicans still refuse to respect or even acknowledge, for example, LGBTQ families. I like to believe that the Adams family is far more loving and accepting than their enemies, unquote. And they are. We all want relationships as passionate and loving as Gomez and Morticia's. We all want to be well-adjusted, confident kids like Wednesday and Pugsley. We all want to live together happily. We want the Adams's version of family values because it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, or your beliefs. You're valued, you are worthy, and you are loved. And that is what defines a loving family. I've hinted at a couple of times, maybe not so subtly, about how much I love Debbie Jelinski, the Black Widow. Debbie Jelinski, the icon who even has her own serial killer trading card. And the fact that Joan Cusack never got her dues in Hollywood, but she got her dues in Adam's Family Values because Joan Cusack perfectly depicts this beautiful blonde femme fatale with style, grace, and literally killer lines. And it's ironic, really, because Debbie Jelinski would probably be the perfect wife of Fester. She fits right into the family's macabre lifestyle, but with these undertones of privilege, expectation, and greed. This is why people on the internet get angry that their favourite character is being butchered, in inverted commas. It's exactly the ballerina Barbie, Malibu Barbie argument. The blatant entitlement. The reason Debbie is still a fantastic villain is because we all know someone who would complain their life is so difficult because of insert ridiculous reason here and wouldn't they just be happy if someone had loved them? And this is a movie that also stars Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, Christine Baranski and Peter McNichol. And it's almost impossible to think anyone could overshadow those roles. 
But Joan Cusack is so wonderful and entertaining in this movie. She does, but she also elevates everyone else at the same time. This movie is so special for so many reasons because it is blisteringly funny, but also you've got to add this scathing, family-friendly social commentary on colonialism, the butchering of Native American history, that the privileged white camp counsellors genuinely believe the white pilgrims saved and tamed the quote-unquote savage Native population. Because, let's be honest, white settlers stole land from Native Americans. They forced them into poverty. And especially considering that this movie came out at Thanksgiving, a national holiday to celebrate family and togetherness, Wednesday Adams is a character who is continually throwing truth bombs in this movie. She is totally correct when she says that Gary's play is historically inaccurate because the Chippewa from the Midwest, Pocahontas was Powhatan, a tribe indigenous to Virginia, and neither she nor the Chippewa would have been present at the first Thanksgiving because Pocahontas had been dead for four years by the first Thanksgiving, which was held in 1621. And I love that this movie is so brave and so bold to include stuff like this because most Hollywood movies are whitewashed. And I think it's especially important for a movie that's focused on families. If you want your kids to learn something, you've got to let them learn from the Adams family because not only are they a fantastic role model for a family of unique individuals, but Wednesday Adams spitting truth bombs here and there. Wednesday Adams will teach your kids. And wouldn't it be great, actually, if Christina Ricci turned up in the Wednesday TV show as a history teacher? That would just be the icing on this very wonderful cake. It is kind of sad that we never got another movie. We never got a trilogy. But to be honest, it would have been impossible without Royal Julia. And watching these movies is always a delight just for him and for his Gomez. Still the definitive Gomez to so many millennials. This movie and its predecessor are perfect family movies for any time of year, but especially as the nights draw in. Because regardless of Dan Quayle's family values, the Adams family value everything worth valuing. Love, respect, uniqueness, creativity, mirth, merriment, manslaughter, family, and most importantly, being unapologetically you. And those are the family values we should be following. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Adam's family values. If you want to get involved and you want to get your comments featured on this podcast, there's a really easy way for you to do that. So you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Verbal Diorama. On a Saturday, I normally put up thoughts posts. You can put your comment in that post for the movie that I'm featuring next. And if it's in there, I will read it out. It's really that simple. Being an independent podcaster is sometimes really hard, but it's made so much better by people who do support this show and get in touch with me and do things like leave a rating or review or retweet or like posts. Or you can simply just tell a friend or family member about this podcast, especially if they're an Adams Family Values fan or an Adams Family fan, literally anything to do with the Adams Family, because clearly there are so many fans of these movies out there. And I just want to get out there to so many people as possible. So if you could help, that would be amazing. And it's totally free. You don't have to spend any money to help this podcast. If you've liked this episode on Adam's Family Values, you might also like one of the following episodes and the movie that it's obviously talking about in the episode. 
I'm going to recommend episode 63, Coraline, because if you've not seen Coraline, it's based on a Neil Gaiman story. It is a Leica movie. It is animated, but it's one of the most beautiful animated movies that exists on the planet. It is gothic. It is macabre. It is a little bit scary, but honestly, one of the most beautiful movies that I've ever seen in my life. Well worth a watch. I don't know if it's available on streaming, but I fingers crossed, I hope it is, because please watch Coraline. You will love it. Episode 94, Beetlejuice, because how can I not recommend something Tim Burton, something similarly gothic, and there's nothing as wonderful in Tim Burton's repertoire as Beetlejuice. It is smart, it is funny, it is astute. It's one of the most wonderful depictions of the afterlife that I think exists on film, and I mean, it's a classic. It's got some wonderful stop motion stuff in there as well. And one of the greatest Michael Keaton performances that ever exists. So please check out Beetlejuice if you haven't watched that movie and listen to that episode. It's one of my favourite episodes, actually, Beetlejuice, because it's a lot of fun doing an episode on Beetlejuice. And of course, episode 119, The Addams Family. As I said, it is one of the most popular episodes that I've ever done on this podcast. And not that I think because it's a fantastic episode, although I do think it's a fantastic episode, but I think movies like The Addams Family resonate with so many people. And it's so important that we have depictions of family that aren't just, you know, white, blonde, 2.4 children kind of family depictions. And something like The Addams Family, I think, truly embraces the brilliance of being different. And as someone who grew up, a little bit different and always felt a little bit different. I feel like the Adams family speaks to me personally and I feel like it can speak to you regardless of who you are, your upbringing, the colour of your skin, your sexuality. The Adams family is a movie that I think can bring us all together and I think that's why that episode remains so popular and hopefully this episode will be similarly as popular. Fingers crossed. But as always, give me feedback on my recommendations. Did I get it right? Did I miss anything? Let me know on social media. The next episode, something totally different. Now, I do have paying patrons on this podcast. And one of the perks, if you're a higher tier patron like Pete is, is you are able to suggest episodes for me to cover. And so when Pete became a patron, I said to him, well, what do you want me to do? thinking, oh my God, he could come back with anything, like any obscure movie that I've never heard of before or have never seen or some really gruesome horror movie that I really don't want to watch. But luckily, Pete came back with something absolutely fantastic, a movie that I've actually never seen before, but I've always wanted to see and I've always been fascinated with after seeing clips of it. And I'm really excited to be doing an episode next on Pete's patron pick, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm a huge fan of martial arts. I used to be a martial artist. I was a kickboxer for quite a few years. And so I've always been very keen on fight choreography and I love really good fight choreography. So I'm really excited to firstly watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the first time and also to really get into the details of how they made that movie and basically how culturally significant that movie is to Chinese culture and martial arts. Please come back next week for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And 
I hope I can do that amazing movie justice. And if you want to be like Pete and you want to sign up to support this podcast, then you absolutely can. You are under no obligation to do so because this podcast is free and it always will be free. But I'm so grateful to the amazing patrons of Verbal Diorama, to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather and Danny. I'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all. Loving patrons, a family. It's just, I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. If you're interested, you can get in touch with me. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. You can give me feedback. You can give me suggestions if you wish. Or you can pop over to my website, verbaldiorama.com and fill out the contact form on there. You can also find me at filmstories.co.uk. You can find articles that I write every week. And you can also buy copies of the magazine that I also write in too. And finally... Our whole family, together at last. Three generations, above ground. In-laws! want to hurt anybody. I don't enjoy hurting anybody. I don't like guns or bombs or electric chairs. But sometimes people just won't listen. And so I have to use persuasion. And slides. My parents, Sharon and Dave, generous, doting, or were they? All I ever wanted was a ballerina Barbie in her pretty pink tutu. My birthday. I was 10. And do you know what they got me? Malibu Barbie. Malibu Barbie. The nightmare. The nerve. That's not what I wanted. That's not who I was. I was a ballerina. Graceful, delicate. They had to go. Bye. Vision of